After lamenting the loss of great and hard-to-replace polo shirts of years past, business partners and friends, Hobson and Billy, set out on a quest to find the perfect shirt. Guided by memories of their very first collared shirts from early days in prep school, and by well-worn hand-me-downs from dad, uncle, and others, they spared no effort to find it. But in the end, they were unable to track down this elusive prize. So they did what two enterprising young men would do. They set out to design it and make it their own. In this episode of the Sound Off podcast presented by Daily Blend, we connect with Hobson and Billy of Cricket Shirts. During the episode, we discuss how the company was founded, how they learned critical business lessons via the startup incubator in Austin, how keeping true to the brand namesake helped to keep customers coming back and the brand to grow and scale. As always, you can get this episode and all other previous episodes on such great platforms as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Mixcloud, etc., etc. Don't forget to check us out at dailyblend.com and Hobson and Billy at cricketshirts.com. Enjoy the episode. So yeah, so let's just start with like, give us just an overview of what you've got. We're in Austin, Texas. You guys have, have been in two buildings. So like, how did you guys start this, you know, brand and kind of where are we just in terms of the layout? Okay. Um, so yeah, Hob and I, we started the company back in, uh, well, we're old buddies from New York City, so we're known each other since we're around six years old. Uh, we started the company back in 2010 is when we actually sold our first shirt. Basically, the reason why we, you know, thought there was an opportunity in apparel is we love this classic golf shirt, this vintage four-button placket, hard-collar golf shirt that at that time, the only place we could buy them were in thrift stores. And we just felt like that's kind of crazy. There's a lot of guys our age who like this sort of look. Yeah. Um, there's got to be an opportunity here. So we launched the brand uh, really around that one shirt, that one product, and did it in six colors and three or four different stripe combinations. And and within that first year, we pretty quickly realized that there, we weren't alone. We weren't the only schmoes out there who, who liked this style of shirt. We had a few cousins that liked it. We had a lot of family members that liked it. Uh, and we sold out pretty quickly. And, um, you know, and it's just been kind of a slow build since then. Uh, you know, bootstrapped it for the first three years. And, and then, you know, slowly built out a team. Uh, our first hire was our... Um, basically our minister of finance, who we also consider a partner, and that was back in the end of 2013. So for, you know, three years, we were kind of just grinding away, the two of us. And uh, and now, yeah, we're here. It's 2019, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, we've obviously grown the collection. Uh, we've built out a team. We've expanded our footprint here in Austin. We have two, we have a retail store next door to this office. Uh, the team is kind of split between the two spaces. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're excited about what we've accomplished, but also realize that there's a lot, lot more to come. So, um, yeah, no, I think, uh, that's a good recap. And, and, you know, like, like Billy said, I mean, I think we've been patient, you know, with our growth. Um, you know, we're definitely consider ourselves a, you know, a pretty fast growth company and especially in the last you know, few years, but, you know, out of the gate, we weren't, you know, trying to knock on venture capital doors and, you know, raise a bunch of money with, with you know, some brand new idea, you know, kind of, you know, we were early on like selling, just we knew we wanted to sell online, um, focused on one product um, that we 
hoped had, you know, a pretty broad appeal. But, um, you know, I think we've, uh, we're proud of what we've been able to accomplish to date and, um, you know, are excited about getting the brand just more nationally recognized. I mean, definitely over the last couple of years, I mean, um, you know, anecdotally just hear from so many people, oh, I saw cricket shirts here, I saw cricket shirts there. And obviously we can track our, you know, digital growth and, and all that, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's been exciting and it's been a lot of fun to kind of build a brand with, you know, one of your oldest, best, best friends. So when you guys started, were you in Austin at the time or are you guys still living in New York? Uh, we were both in Austin. Um, I moved here. Billy was already here. Um, I moved here, um, right before we, we launched the brand and, um, we were, you know, doing other things too, just, to, you know, kind of like this, I would say this was kind of a full-time side hustle, um, for the first couple of years, Billy was in architecture. Um, I was doing e-com and I was in business school at uh, Rice University, um, when we launched the brand. Um, and then, um, you know, we, luckily we, we, we kept getting more and more momentum selling more and more shirts. And, um, we did an incubator here in town, our second year, um, it was focused on consumer packaged goods company. And, um, that was a great, I think, um, opportunity for us, um, just because neither of us being from Austin, we got to meet a lot of other entrepreneurs, um, and mentors, who are part of the, the Austin community, um, that we're still friends with today too. So, I mean, for us, I think it was that experience, um, was more about just kind of building a network and, you know, kind of learning how to kind of position your, your business. And, um, you know, that was a really, uh, interesting kind of uh, track for us. I think it was helpful. And when you went into the incubator, was there like a gating process? I know sometimes you have to have a proof of concept or an idea, or was it more, we think we have something. We were selling, we had sold, I mean, shirts. It was, this was in our second year. So we had, you know, a little bit of a track record to, to show and um, we'd gotten some good press like early on. So that was, that was helpful. Know, I think they, I mean, they, most of their mentors in that incubator were yeah. focused on like food products and, the consumables and stuff like that. And so we weren't an obvious fit okay. for that mentorship. Uh, there was a couple of people who worked online e-com and, and, and sort of online marketing essentially, um, who they paired us up with. Uh, but it wasn't like a, an obvious, you know, yeah, there weren't a lot of, we were the only apparel company in there uh, yeah, and, uh, not, a, yeah, like Billy said, a lot of the mentors were, I mean, Austin is kind of become known as like a, like a great food and bev kind of startup town as, you know, with the whole foods and, um, central market, HEB, these pretty big supermarkets. It's a, it's a good place to kind of launch those types of businesses. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was great to meet other entrepreneurs. I mean, for me, it, I thought like getting to know the other companies that were part of our track, um, kind of going through the same stuff together. That was what I liked most about it. Um, and, um, you know, kind of just leaning on, on them more even than the mentors because we were kind of all, all in the same boat. In it together. Kind of yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And so what's the goal? Like, was there a 14 weeks and at the end you have to present something or is it more just, we want to bring you in and kind of give you a toolkit to be successful? Yeah, no, they, it was 
building up to this, you know, demo day, um, like, you know, a lot of these incubators do, um, whether like, you know, you're going to do your pitch and you know, your 10 minute presentation and, you know, walk out the door and there'll be a line of investors ready to write you a check. And, uh, <laughs> that didn't go quite as planned for, I mean, any of the companies, it was, but we all ended up raising money. It was just not, you know, like direct result from like that demo day. Um, but yeah, no, it was like, um, you know, I forget how long it was, three months, maybe four months, five months. Three months we started, yeah, it was three months. We started in February yeah. and ended in April, I think, three or four, or ended in May. And it was like twice a week we'd get together for, you know, a couple hours and, you know, work on stuff and meet The focus really was, yeah. though, on the pitch, okay. right? But yeah. through going, the focusing on the pitch, you really got to kind of get to the nuts and bolts of your business. Right. And what's important and what, like, what are you going to focus on and growing over the next five years so you know there's this sort of vehicle for really getting to understand your business and it was the pitch and we yeah pra- we literally i think we did practice pitches every single yeah and, that, and that's season. important for entrepreneurs to to learn how to get in front of a room and and explain your business and you know go through that presentation yeah i mean obviously get it no over yeah yeah, yeah and either billy and i had had started our own businesses right. before so um you know that was really really great to get more comfortable, you know, not calling investor, potential investors and just getting in front of a, a room. And the demo day, there was probably three, three, 300 people in the room. I mean, it was, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So this wasn't like 10 people. Oh, no, yeah. There's there some pressure. On yeah. They were probably there for the free drinks, but like, <laughs> but you're, still, you're still looking around the yeah. room and you're like, a lot of eyes on me. We were the Guinea pig class too. So now it's, it's called skew and they've been doing it for like six years or something oh, like that. that. Man, we were first for track. So seven years. Seven years. Seven yeah. Eight, yeah. Yeah. And, um, so they, you know, I think they've gotten, you know, I'm sure they've gotten a little more dialed, a little in, more dialed in, but, huh. um, but yeah, there's some great other companies like um, in our in our track. There was a brand called Epic, which um, went on to they made um, meat bars like the the with paleo paleo kind of diet focus. Like you know, they were really early on. Oh, they they do like the natural beef. Yes, right? yeah, buffalo, like all kinds of stuff. Whatever yeah. the animal is, yeah, yeah they, they taste pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and they 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 had like a rocket ship growth, and they went and got bought by General Mills. Two years ago, yeah, yeah, it was like a quick, yeah. real quick. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Um, and they're great people, and um, still some, headquartered right down the street. Here there's the a local barber shop um, called Birds Barbershop, which is like everyone knows about, and, and it's a really cool, kind of hip barbershop kind of a line, and. Uh, they become great friends of ours. So it was, um, you know, a great exercise for a number of reasons, but I think a practicing your pitch and B just expanding your network of, you know, talk, so you guys had sold shirts. So yeah. just, I'm assuming you had the cricket name already established. Mm-hmm. I mean, did they talk to you about like telling the narrative of your brand and how to build that? Or is it less about that and more just how to sell your brand as an opportunity? Well, I think at that point, we had a pretty good sense of how to tell our story. Yeah. You know, we'd gotten some good press. And like, and I think the reason why we got some good press out the gate is because we kind of had a good, good story. story. Two yeah. old buddies from elementary school sort of, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it just, so they didn't really want to mess with that at all. I mean, there was no, I mean, obviously getting refined and practicing and, and, and not fumbling as you're doing it, but um, 
I would say for us, I'm trying to think like specifically like what, you know, I mean, when we were talking to Dan a lot, Dan mm-hmm. Graham, like mm-hmm. it was mostly about, you know, just how are you getting customers online? If we want to be an online driven company, like how are we acquiring yeah. those customers? What's yeah. it costing us? What's our cart value? Like where, how much can we spend? You know, mm-hmm. just figuring all that, all that stuff out. And, um, and the, the landscape was shifting pretty quickly back then too. So you, yeah. What was working maybe one day might not have worked the next day. It's still, it's still kind of the yeah. same way. Yeah. But you guys were early adopters or you were always direct to consumer, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we do have um, a wholesale side of our business now. Um, it's, you know, last year was our 90% of our business is direct um, and then 10% is wholesale. wholesale is mostly passive up until. Yeah. 2017 basically and it was like someone really wanted to come to us and carry our product like we're like if it was the right fit we it was would the right fit, yeah, yeah. And, and then we just became a little bit more active in trying to get new accounts and um so but yeah we were kind of early on i mean in, in the in the direct yeah. kind of uh business i mean we i remember you know looking at bonobos when when they first launched and i think you know already on my mind was oh this is a cool idea you know like just selling solely online and, um, you know, focused on one product and doing that really, really well and kind of becoming known for, for that, for one, you know, perfecting one thing and then kind of letting that kind of expand, you know, your line, you know, giving you the opportunity to, to add to it. And that's what, you know, what I think they, Warby, we, sorry, I think Warby actually looked at us as inspiration. They're like uh, cr- that cricket company. Man, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Let's follow that path. <laughs> How do you I mean back to like you talking about doing one thing? Yeah. Now, like, so I got introduced to your brand, I think probably 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. and you guys were predominantly the shirt you're wearing, right? Mm-hmm. What was your signal to say, okay, we've done this. Now we're, we feel comfortable to start really expanding our SKUs. I think a, you know, fin- just financially, when you get to a point where you're, you know, comfortable enough to, think about expanding your line, you know, cause obviously there's a lot of costs and upfront, like, especially as you're growing in apparel. And, um, one thing I think it's just, it's a, it's a challenge when you're working with manufacturers and you're building a relationship with them, you know, right out of the gate, you don't have great terms, you know, you have to pay a big percentage of the, the, you know, the total bill, you know, four or five months, before you're even getting the product, right? Yeah. So you're tying up a lot of your capital five months before you're going to get anything back. So that's, that hurts, you know? So and you surely don't want to get yeah. out on a product you haven't sold before and yeah. have, you know, don't know how it's going to be received. It's a big roll of the dice. And we, we still say it. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're still pretty conservative about how we, we launch products and, you know, there's plenty of people who've never worn this shirt. So, yeah. you know, let's still try and focus our, most of our energy on the, on the player shirt and the different variations of that. And then sort of slow drip these other categories, which makes sense for a lifestyle brand. Um, mm-hmm. And be conservative. About yeah. That. I mean, our, yeah. Like kind of finding winners and, and then if we do, then we can kind of go, you know, bigger into the, the next order. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think our our thought is still like, I mean, the, the player shirt is like a identifiable shirt when you you know when you see someone wearing it and at the airport or whatever like that. You know, like 
it's it's nice to have a product that's like identifiable. Yeah. Like a button down is not as identifiable, right? So it's like it's hard to know like you know what brand you're wearing. Mm-hmm. So I think for us like focusing on this, you know, golf shirt, polo shirt with a little with a subtler logo than a lot of the brands on the market which I think appeals to a lot of our guys. Um but it's still recognizable. Um so having that recognizable kind of main product and it, it it's still we've expanded the player shirt into different fabrications and different fits and um and that's still like a big bulk of our our sales yeah. who came up with the uh, collar stay idea because i'm like yeah. once i saw that i was like how the hell does no one else think of this this is great because i can wear your shirt without maybe dry cleaning it mm-hmm. whereas if i wear a competitor's shirt mm-hmm. it looks kind of drabby yeah. yeah i mean i think bill um his architecture kind of problem solving background um you know i'll give him credit for that um i did that, that was one thing i was like we gotta have removable stays for some yeah. reason i was like i was wearing button downs a lot of button downs with removable stays and just i don't know i thought they were just kind of cool and like it's like a classic kind of thing and they work yeah yeah and that just realized that no one was doing it with a and we've modified actually the location over time. Like at yeah. first we kind of put it in angled like a normal shirt and then realized it, it wasn't quite as effective as it could be. And then, so then we moved into the front of the collar, um, which is, I think is what really kind of, you know, keeps it. Billy, don't give away all our secrets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we trademarked it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's trademarked. Yeah. So when you guys were first looking for like manufacturers, I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard horror stories of, of brands looking for yeah. partners and, and I'm not looking for the name of your mm-hmm. partner by any means, yeah. but like, was it a dating process or have you stuck with... I mean, I don't know if it's gotten easier, but back, you know, in 2010 when we were trying to make this work, I mean, you couldn't just Google something like, you know, manufacturing yeah. knitwear and find good partners. So... We actually tried um, for a while to find all, you know, domestic partners, um, do our line exclusively in, in the U.S. And, and really just kind of went on a goose chase there and for a while just spinning our wheels and, and not able to find, you know, the, you know, really quali- qualified leads. And um, then Billy's family had been in apparel like yeah. when he was growing up and his stepmom was still involved in at a pretty you know large apparel company a holding company in new york so they were able to make after we spun our wheels for a while billy finally like you know it's like all right i'll ask my stepmom and she was able to make just a good like you know a great connection with a really good manufacturer um who was honestly kind of did her a favor you know at the at the volume that we launched with um, but yeah, it, it was, it was great key to have, like, you know, you don't want to put a product out there that's, you know, you get one kind of, you know, only get a couple shots and you don't want to, you know, come out of the gate with something that's okay. going to turn, turn people off. Yeah. So, and, and we now, since we've been in, you know, the, the, the business for a while, like we've changed partners, um, multiple times. Um, you know, I think right now we're in an awesome place with, um, you know, all of our manufacturers that we work with. And we've got a few different ones now, depending on the product. And, and we really just try to find the best maker of that product and most reliable, um, you know, that's going to deliver on time, get, you know, good terms, good people. Um, and uh, yeah, we feel like we're in a really good spot. And that just comes with 
you know, being in the business for a while and, and meeting people and, you know, then kind of hearing of you and, you know, kind of establishing credibility. So being that you started online, got to have a ton of data on customers, your reach. I mean, mm. how much are you guys using that data to figure out and drive decisions about either where to play, which geographies to market and target towards or where to travel? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think still we're a small enough business that a lot of stuff is done just, you know, by kind of, I don't want to say hunch, but like it's, it's not all data driven, you know, I mean, from a product standpoint, like branding, marketing, it's, it's really, and I think it's what been helped for us to like build like a cool, authentic brand is, is being kind of true to like what we think is what's gotten us here and, 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 um, you know, what we think is cool and funny and we like to wear and, um, you know, that's something we, we don't have like a, a huge doing meetings for meeting sakes. I mean, like a small company, you can kind of sit around a table like we're doing right now and kind of, you know, talk it through. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, certainly with like the marketing, um, we primarily are like social media advertising is sort of, you know, been what we focused on and had the most success with. We tried other channels and tested things. Um, but, you know, I think Facebook's, um, you know, ability, every, every got to fish where the fish are and, um, you know, the visual component of, you know, that you need to discover a brand like us just works better when you have some sort of visual of the brand and the product versus like a, you know, Google search, Google shop, that's harder for us to like grow our, our brand on. Um, you know, it'd be great if you could make just type in polo shirt and people come flock into our website, but, um, that, you know, for, for what we're trying to, to do and, and, and sell that, that hasn't worked, you know? So over the weekend, I logged on to, I think, Instagram, mm-hmm. and I saw all the coverage of your, is it the 19th hole? Is that, what do you guys, We do a, uh, so yeah, there's a local golf course here called Lions Municipal Golf Course, and, and this weekend, it's it's basically like, um, own, the land is owned by um, University of Texas, but the city runs the course and there's been um a lot of talk the lease is coming up and ut is thinking about selling the land to get developed and it's like right in the middle of austin so it's a huge green space worth a lot of money um but you know we love the course we do our annual golf tournament out there it's just a you know tons of kids play on it every day it's it's got like all different types of people that that play and it's got a lot of history it was the first desegregated course in the south public um, golf course in the south um so I mean, we've kind of taken an active role in, in getting involved in the organization in austin to try to save the course it's, oh, so cool. it's called save muni is the local organization so this past weekend we've done we did a 19th hole party to benefit save muni and then the next day we had our annual golf tournament which is called the invitational um, which is also you know tied into kind of supporting um, it's takes place at Lions and tied into support. Typically there. not back to back. It was it was a yeah. It was a long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really progressive, uh, yeah. really productive Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah Monday But it was great. I mean, the the Save Muni party on Friday and Ben Crenshaw is sort of 
you know, kind of been the golfer, um, you know, he's a really well-known Texas Austinite and he, he's, he grew up playing at Lions. And so he's been very involved in he's you know, kind of supporting the face of it. Yeah. And as a, as a pretty famous UT alum, I mean, the fight is between the Save Muni community and the University of Texas. And it's like a, it's like a shaming campaign, you know, essentially yeah. what it is. I mean, cause money's not going to get the job done. It's really, it's like putting UT in a spot where they're, and they're working out some land deals, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's some some, pretty there's big. Been some things that yeah. have to happen. But, but Ben Crenshaw is probably Texas' most famous golfer. Yeah. Um, you know, won a couple Masters, and uh, you know he's going head to head with his university, which he loves. Um, so it's it's just, he's a, he's definitely like kind of the main spokesperson. Yeah, it's cool. So he he gave a speech, kind of updating everything what's going on, and then um, Lucas Nelson, um, Willie Nelson's son, who's you know. Star all over the place, yeah. yeah. yeah um, right he performed and kind of talked about it too, because he's a local Austinite guy too. So it was cool to see like just different types of a lot of different types of people that care about you know keeping this uh, green space in Austin. Nice. Um, shifting to your kind of retail footprint, so mm-hmm. I think you know of, of this brands that I've seen. I mean, it's a really nice use of you know the space and the backside. I mean. Have you guys, you know, thought that this really propelled your brand? Is it nice to have? I, mean, I think for us, it was never sort of standalone retail. It was always like part of our office. Right. So it just kind of made sense. Like we're going to work out of here and people are going to come in and buy shirts and, you know, they'll get to kind of meet us and experience the brand in a different mm-hmm. way than through their computer, you know. And, um, and Austin being a place where people are visiting all the time from all over the country it gives those folks like we've become kind of like a spot to stop nice yeah spot to stop in austin um and uh you know i don't think it's part of any sort of grand plan to like start opening up a bunch of stores but it's been successful i mean it it it, you know we get some decent foot traffic in there we sell sell a lot of shirts and people are just really pumped to come in and they see i mean you see the backyard here it's it's pretty unique um and oddly enough, like we've been, we're written up in um, Lonely Lonely Planet. Is it, you know, travel guide for our murals? So like people, there's people. I get we got a group of like eight Brits in like a week ago. They're like, where are the murals? I'm like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> They're like, oh, you guys are in, a, in Lonely Planet travel guide. Huh. Like, you know, who did the murals? Uh, it's a friend of ours. As uh, his uh, his tag name is Mez Data. Okay. And um, so we have, I think, six now. About to start our seventh. He's working on the concept for that. But, um, yeah, it's, that also wasn't like a grand plan. We're like, ah, oh, let's just throw a mural of Bill Murray out of front, see what happens there. And then we're like, ah, oh, we should do one every year. Yeah. And nice. next thing you know, we're... So it's an annual thing? It's an annual mm-hmm. thing. Nice. Like, yeah. you know, it, it, it reminds us of how many years we've been here. Yeah, and I think it's cool. I mean, like, the backyard gives us an opportunity to do events, you know? So, like, we'll do, like, a once-a-quarter uh, event back here and and you know that's a great way to just kind of activate the austin you know community um and uh it's a lot of fun usually it's it's something that is, you know planned around the masters or a christmas party or i mean it's just good times so and yeah. gives us the opportunity to do stuff like that nice cool and have you guys found being in like Austin, which is arguably one of the, you know, entrepreneurial kind of capitals of, of the states. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys 
still partnering with other brands and meeting other brands, or has that kind of dissipated a little bit as you guys have grown? No, we do a lot of, um, like any event we have, we, we typically partner with, you know, a bunch of other Austin companies. Um, you know, a lot of the food and bev, some great food and bev companies here that, you know, we get involved in any event. And, um, yeah, we look for opportunities for sure. We're open to doing collaborations with, with other brands. And, um, usually that's just a good way to kind of get in front of a, a new audience. And, um, it's, um, you know, some of them come to us or we, you know, it takes time to kind of think it through and reach out if like you're, you know, trying to make it happen. But a lot of it's just kind of through personal relationships that we people we've met, you know, being in the business, going to a trade show and just kind of developing relationships that way. But yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think we'd love to do more of them. If it made sense, we're totally open to it. What's your gating, what's sort of the gating process for someone comes to you for a partnership and you're like, you know what, this feels right and let's do it. Or, Hey, this is just not the right fit for us right now. I mean, I think it's literally that it's just looking at what, you know, sort of what, you know, what the actual, if it is a physical product that we'd be collaborating on, is that something that, that we feel like we could, could sell them on our website? And also I think it is, you know, looking at their audience, looking at our audience, seeing if, you know, they're, they're similar, but, different meaning like they're at the core they're similar and you know 35 to 45 year old guys and but are different in the sense that they're, they're maybe geographically in a different place or whatever so i mean i think that's kind of mostly and then it's sometimes it's like what are the products that we want to do that we don't have to go like really go produce on our own and understanding that we're going to be paying more up front typically when you partner with a collaborative sense um and then going finding a cool brand that's already doing it like yeah. You know, if Cricket ever wanted to do sunglasses, it probably wouldn't make sense for us to go make thousands of pairs of sunglasses, you know, right out the gate without knowing how much, like, let's partner with a cool sunglasses company, you know, mm -hmm. and find a way to customize them or do something cool, put them on our website and see if people are into them. And then, and then you know, all of a sudden, then you realize, oh, okay, that works. And then, you know, so. Nice. Right? I mean, that's. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just uh, a good way to. You get in front of new people for both, you know, brands. You get one of our shoes right now. These are, that's the Atlanta company. Oh, yeah? Razips. Is it Razipsa? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Razipsa. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I like the green. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of green, it's golf. You guys make the golf shirt. Yeah. Who do you guys have for the Masters? Um, I think I picked Justin Thomas, just, uh, Looks like a cool. See, we like don't want to cool like switch up on our picks. <laughs> well, what did I pick? I, we did. Uh, Jay asked us for our picks. Uh, I think uh, I picked Rory. I think he's playing some good golf this year. He's yeah. you know so and he's you know done it before. So yeah. I mean, as a fan, I'd love to see Tiger win another. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. <laughs> I think golf needs it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, statistics on viewership without him around is. Uh, yeah, we just, we just had the you know we just had the Dell match play here last week, and there's never been a challenge getting a ticket to that tournament. Uh, and this year it was like sold out like huh. day one. Yeah, it was in Austin. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's Tiger effect. <laughs> so let's talk about like just you're kind of almost at ten years, right? So you guys started mm -hmm. at like two of you mm -hmm. kind of running it. How did you guys decide when to start building team members and like what was, how did that work in terms of talent and like 
capabilities you guys are trying to activate. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, early on, Billy and I were doing everything because that's what we could afford. I mean, yeah. we were just... Um, it was good to get your hands, you know, on everything too. I mean, looking back, we were packing out your box and, you know, you kind of learn every piece of your, your business and what you, what you're good at, what you like, what you don't like. Um, and, uh, so for us, I think a, we got to a place where we could afford to, to start hiring people as a bootstrap company, you know, that's number one. Um, and, um, we we got kind of lucky, I would say, with our first hire. It was you know Billy and I. Neither of us have um, a uh, background in finance, and I think we realized that uh, you know that was not either of our strengths. And we were getting ready to raise a round of financing, and um, so the uh, the guy who we ended up our first hire was a had a great finance background. He just came out of business school. He had a private equity background. He worked at banks, like everything that we lacked, he had. And uh, he was really psyched to get involved in a apparel startup where he was like the first guy hired. So he targeted us and um, a few other brands he's talked to, but um, it was a great fit. And so we got kind of lucky that he found us and that was the right time. Um, And then, you know, soon after he came on board is when we put together like our first kind of round of, of financing. Um, and, uh, he, he definitely was very helpful in, in, in helping us do that. So, um, yeah. And then we, then we just, you know, I think you kind of hire to like what, sh- what your needs are most pressing. So finance was, you know, a, a great first hire. Then, you know, we'd been, as a bootstrap owner, we weren't, we'd hired like consultants and contract, yeah, you know, just contract workers, like graphic designers that we just pay like by projects. And we, you know, that was our, our next hire was someone that could really like build, help build out our brand more like internally. So a great person with graphic design skills that could, you know, build our email um, calendar. Whose time was reliable too. I mean, yeah. you know, we realized that we needed to be emailing not once or twice a week, but, you know, more frequently than that. And finding someone who is an outside sort of graphic designer to be able to come into that kind of time was hard. And so, um, so yeah, our first... Yeah, and then we uh, built a team, then, then hired apparel designers and um, yeah. customer service, obviously, as your business kicks up is important to fill in. Um, and, um, yeah, now we're a team of 13 full-time people wow. and, That's good for you guys. yeah, and we have, um, you know, some other freelance folks ar- around the country that kind of help with our wholesale business and independent reps and things like that. Nice. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And then as you're looking to build, I mean, what's like, what's your, do you have a North Star in terms of like either top line or team size or like? Where do you guys see your next kind of five years headed? Yeah, I mean, we definitely set um, goals and, um, you know, top line you know, revenue being one of them. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, that, that can affect, you know, how you're thinking of building your team for sure. You know, what you can afford, how, what, you know, certain sales volumes we're going to require more customer service, obviously. And that all kind of works together. Um, but, you know, I think we're also like, you know, as, as a direct business with a fulfillment center in Dallas, that kind of, you know, we can stay pretty lean, you know, like we don't need to have a ton of people, um, 
you know, to, to kind of get to where, you know, we want to be in the next two, three years. Um, so you're not fulfilling that here. You're no. Fulfilling yeah. Out yeah. Okay. So we have pretty soon we, we, you know, Billy and I got to, um, a fulfillment center just to ship and, you know, pack yeah, everything. Our first year. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did it for nine months. Yeah. I just realized it was, it, we were spending all of our time packing boxes instead of like actually thinking it, it, was, it yeah. didn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and then in terms of just what like sort of advice would you give someone starting off in your shoes 10 years ago, what were the things that you guys did well? What were some of the sort of trappings or pitfalls that you guys encountered? I think the, I mean, I'll speak to the pitfalls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we, we did move into some categories, um, some different categories a little bit too early. We we wanted to move into some some button down and some wall wins. We felt like that was made sense for us and um, invested quite a bit of money in that and it didn't I mean we eventually got rid of sold the product but it just stayed on that quote unquote shelf for, for quite a while and that just was money just sitting there. Um, I think that was probably like from a production standpoint, like our biggest mistake which might also then be kind of, you know, one of the, the advice would be like, find something, one thing and do it well, blow it out. And, you know, there's a lot of customers who will buy that one thing if you're doing it right. Right. I think that those two kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could focus more on finding new customers than like, you know, expanding your product uh, and, uh, t- you know, Something that might not. I mean, if you look at all of the, the, the company, I mean, like away bags, like now they're, they're, they're moving into new stuff, but they just did that one bag. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, all, a lot of these big, a lot bigger than us. I mean, um, what's the, 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 a lot of shoe companies that are up direct on the market, they have like one style and a few different colors and they're big businesses. So, I mean, it's easier that way to, to, to manage. And then I'll yeah. say, like, just yeah. being, um, you know, obviously raising money when you need it. Um, but also understanding that they're, you know, it feels good to raise money. It means it kind of validates your brand a little bit. People believe in what you're doing, but it also, you know, you can get, if you can get stuck in this thing, you're constantly like trying to just chasing like a number, you know, and like, we got to double it. We got to double it. And then you're doing it, whatever you can to do that. Sometimes, sometimes those decisions can be detrimental to really the core of your business. We have, we've not run in that problem, but like, I feel like there are some examples out there where, where there's companies who just continually had to just raise money because they continue to have that top line number and and then end up with a business that just didn't wasn't it couldn't be profitable because the way they've been operating it for so long. There's like how do you turn this thing that hasn't been profitable <laughs> into something profitable? Yeah. Or I don't own any of my business. And or or that part of it too, which is the other thing. But like you know, I mean, that's but it's also like you know, how patient do you want to be? I mean, we've been pa- I think we've been patient and with our business yeah. and. Some people might not want to be that patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it depends on what you want to do. You <laughs> yeah. know, like how quickly do you want to move on to something else? Yeah. You know, uh, we really love what we're doing. It's a lot of fun. We've grown at a you know at a at a good good clip, and um, but we're still like don't have people breathing down our necks to hit certain numbers. And um, it's a good position to be in. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, advice. I would say you know like people starting out like don't be afraid to like you know op- open up to to folks and ask for help and 
Um, so you'll find, you know, I don't know, in Austin, we found a really supportive community and people are definitely willing to like have meetings with you. And, um, you know, if you're working on something that you're passionate about, uh, people um, kind of want to help. And um, so I would say don't be afraid to, you know, to, to be, be an open book and, and ask for help when you need it. Unless you're like developing some software that's going to change the world. <laughs> we were. <laughs> as always, you can get this episode and all other previous episodes on such great platforms as Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Mixcloud, etc., etc. Don't forget to check us out at dailyblind.com and to check out Hobson and Billy at cricketshirts.com. 